and welcome to the Urology COVID Lecture Series podcast brought to you by the UCSF Department of Urology. In today's episode, we have Dr. Kara Watts from Montefiore talking about prostate MRI for urologists. All right, it's 12 o'clock, so I think we can get started. Um, good morning or afternoon, everyone, uh, depending on what time zone you're in. My name is Rich Maiman. I'm one of the chief residents at Montefiore Medical Center in New York. Today is my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Kara Watts. Dr. Watts did her residency training here at Montefiore and stayed on as faculty afterwards. Today, she's going to be talking to us about prostate MRI for the urologist. And I'll turn it over to her now. And if anyone has any questions, you can just ask them in the chat and we'll try to get to as many as possible after the talk. All right. So thanks, Rich. And thanks to everyone for, I guess, tuning in today. Uh, this is my first time doing this type of a uh, Grand Rounds lecture. So uh, appreciate everyone's uh, going along with, with this and the opportunity to speak with you. I don't have any disclosures. So as Rich mentioned, uh, we are at Montefiore Medical Center, which is located in the Bronx, New York. And for those of you who may not be as familiar with our program, I wanted to just briefly mention a couple things about it. So we own Albert Einstein College of Medicine, uh, and we are actually one of the largest he hospital healthcare networks in the country. Uh, our hospital network comprises eight hospitals, three of which are our primary academic hospitals. Um, this fancy shiny building on the upper right hand corner is one of our newer outpatient centers where our outpatient urology practices as well as our ambulatory surgery center. And uh, we service the community that live in the Bronx and it's 1.4 million people. It's a ton of patients with an unbelievable amount of diversity. Uh, we, Montefiore has one of the largest residency programs in the country uh, ac across all specialties and also we have one of the five busiest emergency rooms in the country. Uh, and so uh, it's an amazing place to train, an amazing place to work at. Uh, and one small fact I love to always mention is that our faculty just so happens to be uh, almost 50% female, which is very unique uh, among urology practices and uh, academic centers. Okay, so uh, a brief outline for today. Uh, I'm going to start with some basic prostate anatomy on MRI, uh, go over the PIRADS uh, scoring system for prostate cancer. I know there were previous talks on fusion biopsy, which uh, is something I'm one of the two faculty in our department who do uh, image guided fusion biopsy. So this talk is uh, somewhat related. Um, go over some MRI scanner basics and the MRI sequences, and then go over some image review with everybody. And uh, I'll post some multiple choice questions to try to help uh, keep everybody uh, engaged, especially if you're on the West Coast and you're still drinking coffee. My goals for today uh, you are not going to be a radiologist uh, at the uh, end of this talk. Uh, we have fabulous radiology colleagues who spend years in residency and in fellowship to do what I'm going to try to give you a brief summary of in 40 minutes. Uh, but it is my hope that uh, you can understand a little bit more about uh, the different MRI sequences and what their strengths and limitations are, uh, and also gain familiarity with being able to look or approach an MRI of the prostate and sort of identify uh, suspicious areas uh, according to sort of the PIRAD scoring system. Um, basically, let's demystify prostate MRI. So um, I love this quote, tell me and I forget, teach me and I may remember, involve me and I learn. So pay attention, there are some questions coming at you later. So here's the first one. If you are a resident or fellow on this call, how comfortable do you feel uh, approaching a prostate MRI for suspicious lesion identification?
Okay, great. So 46% not comfortable, 36% somewhat. So the vast majority are not or somewhat. Um, and I would say thanks everybody for responding uh, that uh, I would have responded similarly as well. I, MRI is I think uh, one of the hardest imaging modalities for us to, uh, to interpret it. So very basic uh, prostate anatomy. So you have here, a sagittal cross-section with the bladder up here um, and the urethra passing through. The light purple in the periphery is the peripheral zone uh, and then the transition zone in pink is what sort of surrounds the urethra and that's where our classic BPH uh, symptoms um, sort of arise from. And then the central zone, which is posterior to the transition zone and more robust toward the uh, base by the bladder as opposed to the apex down here. So when we look at sort of an axial cross-section of prostate MRI, this is a very simplified drawing of what the different areas of a prostate look like. Uh, but I think it's important to understand how everything looks in relation to itself uh, in respect to the MRI image. So here you can see the urethra is right here in the middle with the, the white oval with the yellowish tan transition zone around it. Uh, the bulk around the periphery is the peripheral zone. Anteriorly uh, and more toward the base and the mid gland, we have the anterior fibromuscular stroma and then Posteriorly, we have the central zone. Uh, and this is a, a, another depiction of it, sort of proceeding from base to mid to apex. So you can see that as you shift from the base to the apex of the prostate, the central zone sort of disappears uh, and the transition zone also becomes less pronounced and the peripheral zone here in the apex is more pronounced. So here's an MRI uh, image. So uh, we're going to see a lot more of these, but just to sort of put one and two side by side, um, here's your nice peripheral zone this sort of bright white uh, shape around the periphery of the prostate. I'm sort of making the outline of the prostate right now. Uh, and this area here in the uh, sort of middle anterior section is the transition zone. Uh, these two images here uh, are also other cross sections on axial of the prostate and this would be a little bit more toward the base because you can see this sort of darker uh, anterior fibromuscular stroma up here. Uh, your urethra is right here. You have a little bit of peripheral zone out here toward the periphery. This corresponds exactly to this picture here. These sort of circular uh, central zones here. Okay. Now, honestly, if there was a virtual prostate exam, don't you think I'd want to be the first to know? So um, I don't know if anyone's actually laughing uh, when I read that, but I will say that uh, this is relatively uh, appropriate for this talk. Um, you know, we are at a really fascinating time in diagnosing and working up prostate cancer. There are some practices uh, and centers, uh, most notably uh, some of our colleagues who are in London who really have uh, supplanted prostate cancer screening. Uh, the, the digital rectal exam, it, they for the most by and large don't use it and it's predominantly MRI upfront for anybody with an elevated PSA or strong family history or risk factor. So in this gentleman's uh, uh, case, he, he would be well served there, although this is not uh, the standard across the board for everybody. So uh, I can't really go into prostate uh, MRI images without briefly mentioning PIRAD. So uh, I you've heard about this before, or if you haven't from one of the talks, I'm sure you've heard the name. So this is essentially a risk assessment tool for reporting the likelihood that clinically significant prostate cancer is present based on the MRI. And this was actually updated last year. So it's now version 2.1. Uh, the version two, which was the preceding version was updated in 2015. So uh, that stood for four years. Um, 
and it's been developed uh, predominantly by these committees that you see here. It's based on evidence and expert consensus opinion. And you know, you can do an entire talk just on this, so I'm going to spare you those details. But uh, in a very basic sense, uh, the point of this is to interpret the uh, prostate MRI images, the different sequences, and find areas that look suspicious for harboring clinically significant prostate cancer and giving them a numeric rating based on very specified criteria uh, based on how likely it is that prostate cancer is present. And the ones that uh, we care about, especially for my sake, if I'm going to do an image-guided fusion biopsy, are those lesions with a score of three or above. One and two are uh, benign. So what's the deal with different prostate MRI scanners? There's 1.5 Tesla and 3 Tesla. And you know, you look at 3T, it sounds better than 1.5 Tesla, but really what's the difference? So 3T uh, basically gives twice the signal-to-noise ratio compared to a 1.5 Tesla scanner. And a signal-to-noise ratio directly translates to your image quality. So three Tesla scanners do provide a better image, uh, better quality image on the prostate MRI uh, pictures that are obtained. Now, that said, not every center has them available uh, or um, uh, uh, can afford the, the upgrade if they were traditionally operating on a 1.5 system. So what I will say briefly is that uh, from the literature out there and from the recommendations, the newer 1.5 Tesla scanners uh, can give you adequate images to be able to do PIRADS interpretation, a radiologist. Um, if it's a much older scanner, it's recommended to use an endorectal coil. It's a, a, a fairly, you know, uncomfortable uh, <clears throat> coil that is inserted into the patient's rectum to help immobilize the prostate in the patient to enhance image quality. Um, uh, another thing to note is that 1.5 Tesla scanners have to be used in some patients that have either hip prostheses that will interfere with the 3T scanners or if they have 3T incompatible medical devices, some cardiac devices just cannot, uh, cannot uh, work with a 3T scanner. Uh, so the PIRADS committee, uh, as well as our own sort of AUA prostate MRI guidelines, they're on our website, the AUA website. They do recommend using a 3T scanner, if at all possible, if you're trying to evaluate a prostate for uh, staging purposes, for PIRADS interpretation. Um, however, if not available or incompatible with patient uh, implants or devices, a 1.5 Tesla can be used and it can be interpreted uh, decently. Okay, so moving on now to what the actual different sequences are. I'm trying to break it down into a, a simplified manner for predominantly the residents, because I know that when I looked at an MRI uh, series of images as a resident, it just looks like a lot of letters and numbers and a ton of images. And for me personally, I found it very overwhelming. Um, and I usually just randomly clicked through them until I could find one that looked like what I was trying to look at. Uh, so there are both anatomic sequences and functional sequences. So the number sequences, T1 and T2, are the anatomic sequences. Uh, and the functional assessment or the functional sequences are the diffusion weighted imaging with the calculated ADC uh, and the dynamic contrast enhanced. And I'll be going through each of these in a lot of detail now. So for an MRI protocol to actually do a PIRADS rating or to evaluate a patient uh, prostate for PIRADS lesions, uh, again, preferably a 3T scanner, don't necessarily have to use endorectal coil, but you could use a 1.5, and they're going to get all of these uh, sequences performed. The most two most important, and you should remember these, are T2, and DWI with ADC. 
Okay, so T1, remember the numbers are anatomy. T1 is uh, purely to give anatomic detail of the prostate. It is not used for pyrad scoring or interpretation. What it can do is it helps to sort of give you the outline of the prostate gland, uh, and it can also help to identify biopsy-related hemorrhage or seminal vesicle hemorrhage. So this is actually a patient of mine. I tried to use uh, my own patient uh, scans when, when possible, uh, who had a, an MRI after a biopsy. It was a, a number of weeks after, but still had some residual hemorrhage here in the left portion uh, of his peripheral zone. So you can see right here, I'm hoping you're, you can see my, uh, my cursor move, otherwise that's going to be a problem. Uh, but these really attenuating areas here uh, are, are purely uh, hemorrhage. So, and you can see the outline uh, of the, the prostate here, sort of the nice, you know, walnut or whatever kind of nut shape you want to think of. Uh, and that's essentially the point of T1. So I'm not going to spend more time on that. Moving on to T2. T2 I'm going to spend more time on because it's, it's one of the most important sequences. If you're going to pull up a, pro a prostate MRI, go here first. So T2, a silly thing I always remembered and I still remember today, T2H2O, T2H2O. That two uh, has to do with the, uh, the brightness of water. So water, T2H2O is bright uh, on a T2 sequence. So it really is, the, uh, it's the other anatomic sequence. It gives you excellent anatomic detail. Um, it really is the best sequence for showing you the different zones in the prostate, the peripheral zone, the uh, central zone, the transition zone. It's also the best sequence to look for surgical planning or for prostate cancer staging. So for example, seminal vesicle invasion, extra prostatic extension, lymph node involvement. Uh, this is your sequence to go to for looking for these types of things. Now, these are the two things that I want you to remember, and you're going to hear me say again, prostate cancer lesions on T2 are dark. Okay, uh, and it is the key sequence for finding transition zone tumors. So transition zone tumors are, you know, without going into a lot of detail, a lot more challenging for radiologists to identify compared to peripheral zone tumors. And if, if I was giving this grand rounds talk to my residents, I'd say, how many prostate cancers grow from the transition zone? And somebody would smartly raise their hand and say, 20 to 25%. So it's the minority of, of prostate cancers, but they are they do occur. And so T2TZ, T2TZ, I'm trying to give you simple things to remember. You're gonna use T2 to evaluate for transition zone tumors. And in general, they will look dark. Okay, so try to keep these things in mind. So in general, if you look at, a, when you look at a, at a normal T2 prostate, okay, the peripheral zone is going to have a high signal. It's uh, typically pretty bright and it's going to look very homogeneous. You saw that on one of my earlier slides, you'll see it again. Now the transition zone, uh, as a non-radiologist, I will say it looks like a mess. It's a sort of chaotic, disorganized mess because of BPH nodules. It does not have that nice smooth appearance that the peripheral zone does. And the central zone, which is uh, sometimes harder to identify, especially when it's smaller, has a, a lower signal. It tends to be darker, not to be misinterpreted for prostate cancer. Um, I will show you examples of these, but uh, just bear this in mind because I said T2TZ, T2 is where you're going to find your transition zone tumors. BPH nodules, okay, when you look at these uh, transition zones and they look like a mess, the BPH nodules are typically very well circumscribed uh, with sort of within their own stroma and capsule. The prostate cancer lesions are typically very poorly circumscribed or lenticular or fusiform. They look more erratic like a cancer, okay? So let me just give you these two examples here. These are uh, two, male, uh, two men's uh, prostate MRIs with really marked BPH. So if you see out here, this here, these are two T2 scans. This is the uh, peripheral zone kind of squashed down here on the posterior 
aspect of the prostate. And this whole kind of, you can see this more heterogeneous appearance here is the uh, transition zone. And you can actually see, like this is a beautiful example right here. Here's a nice, fairly circular, well-circumscribed BPH nodule that does not have sort of this erratic uh, appearance of a cancer. And furthermore, I, I said before, prostate cancers typically look dark. So I don't real, there's no obvious really dark uh, areas here that, um, that light up. Over here, similar. There is this sort of area over here uh, that uh, looks kind of dark on this left portion of the transition zone, but uh, what I will say to you throughout this as well is you cannot interpret uh, for, for a prostate cancer with the PIRADS uh, scoring system on one sequence. You have to put them all together. So this area here did not correspond to suspicion on the other sequences. This is just BPH. Okay, now we're going to look at a couple of suspicious lesions, okay? So again, really robust, kind of nice, smooth, homogeneous, bright-looking peripheral zone. Here's your transition zone up here. And you can see this is normal transition zone. It's, it's, uh, it has good attenuation, but here, this very dark kind of irregular border, irregular shape of the left portion of the transition zone, that is a, uh, a prostate cancer uh, lesion there. And uh, you have to take my word at it that it, it matches up on the other sequences as well. Uh, another example here, here's the left portion of the peripheral zone, uh, which you, is normally sort of this brighter area, but here it is uh, this dark, uh, dark area on the left lateral part of the peripheral zone. So that is also a um, prostate cancer in the left peripheral zone. This is a, an even more obvious one. Here we have our nice uh, peripheral zone out here uh, with this really irregular uh, border dark area on the right lateral portion of the peripheral zone. Uh, and you can see here this sort of uh, excuse me, heterogeneous, uh, messy looking typical transition zone appearance. Another one, this is one of my patients who had a fusion biopsy. Uh, this ended up being a Gleason 3 plus 4, just very irregular, high, uh, dark area of the right uh, peripheral zone. And again, I mentioned that T2, in addition to anatomy, uh, is really helpful for staging, prostate cancer staging, or surgical planning. So here, uh, you can see that this is actually a prostate cancer extending into periprostatic fat. Uh, so in addition to just normal prostate borders, anatomy, it also is going to show you uh, staging, extracapsular extension, seminal vesicle invasion, or uh, lymph node positivity. Okay, now I do want to just make a quick point here. So there are a couple of other things with T2 images that can sort of throw you or the radiologist off. So there are some non-specific findings, particularly in the peripheral zone, that may confuse you for a prostate cancer lesion. And I showed you one before that uh, was not did not end up being a, a cancer. Uh, inflammation, hemorrhage post-radiation fibrosis, calcifications, uh, even changes after hormone deprivation therapy can all affect the way that the peripheral zone looks, uh, and it could uh, complicate or confound how you are interpreting the image. So you cannot uh, make a call just from one sequence. You have to look at the other ones, which I'll get into to see. So here's a really good example. Here's a gentleman, uh, actually a patient of mine, who has this just very diffusely hypo-attenuating um, um, appearance throughout his peripheral zone. It doesn't have that sort of bright, normal, homogeneous uh, peripheral zone appearance. And this just ended up being prostatitis. Um, here's another example. On this gentleman, the left side of the peripheral zone, that's normal. So here's your nice bright white peripheral zone, very homogeneous, smooth, and this very uh, low attenuating, darker appearing right uh, peripheral zone. So if you just looked at this, you could say, well, that might be prostate cancer there, um, I, that doesn't look, that's clearly not the same as the left. If you look at this with his other sequences, the other sequences did not have the suspicious appearance. And this actually was a uh, acute prostatitis in the, this portion of his peripheral zone.
Okay, so just to remind everybody, T2, to, uh, prostate cancer tumors look dark. T2TZ, it is the phase or the sequence to look for uh, or for identifying cancers in the transition zone. Okay, now moving on. So now we're gonna get into diffusion weighted imaging or ADC, uh, an ADC. So this is the functional assessment of the, uh, or one of the functional sequences of the prostate, prostate MRI. Uh, and so it's, it's messy looking because it's not a beautiful anatomic picture and it's just more challenging for us to look at them. So we're gonna keep it very simple. This is a functional assessment of diffusion of water molecules in tissue. That's all it's looking at is how's the water molecules moving? And it's sort of a, a measure of cellular density. So we all know that in prostate cancer, there's an increase in cellularity, neoplastic growth, uh, and a loss of normal glandular architecture. So because of this, the water molecules cannot move normally. And so the, the, there's a lot of uh, restriction of normal diffusion of water. So what that ends up translating to is that on diffusion-weighted imaging, there's just water kind of stuck there. It's not really diffusing and moving normally. So there's a high signal, bright signal on diffusion-weighted imaging. But the way to account for that or, or uh, follow up that is the ADC. Uh, and what that is, is an actual calculated measure of the difference of diffusion. So on ADC, prostate cancer has a very low or dark signal, okay? So diffusion-weighted imaging, cancers will look very bright. And ADC, there is going to be a very low signal, very dark. And there's actually an, a lot of studies that have been published that say that the lower the calculated uh, value or coefficient for the ADC value, the, uh, the, there's a direct translation to higher Gleason grade of prostate cancer on targeted biopsy in that uh, lesion. Now, DWI ADC, maybe remember this for later. This is the key sequence for looking for peripheral zone tumors, which are the majority of our prostate cancer tumors, okay? Okay, so here are some pictures to look at. These are, like I said, harder to look at, they're messier, they are functional, uh, pictures. They are not beautiful anatomic pictures that we like to see as a urologist looking at CAT scans, for example. So here we have uh, on the diffusion weighted imaging slice, this really bright area here on the right side uh, of the peripheral zone. And here the calculated uh, diffusion coefficient is very low, very dark. And so it corresponds. You can see that this is bright and this is dark. If this was not a cancer and this was just a tissue that had a lot of diffusion, a lot of water molecules, but it was not a cancer, this calculated value would not look so dark. And that would say to you, that's, that is not a, that's how you put all the sequences together to, to say this is not uh, suggesting a, a cancerous lesion here. Again, challenging to look at, yes, because it's functional, but here you can't, you can't quite see the, the border of the prostate that clearly, or at least I can't, but I can see that this area here on the right side of the peripheral zone is much brighter than the rest of the prostate. And on the calculated ADC sequence, Boom, it corresponds to this dark, low attenuating, uh, sorry, this dark, uh, low coefficient uh, uh, area in the right lateral peripheral zone. And that, that uh, is suspicious for a prostate cancer. The rest of this normal peripheral zone here is what the normal uh, ADC, normal tissue, BPH tissue, all has a higher, brighter uh, ADC coefficient. Okay, so before I move on to DCE, just to remind everyone, so DWI, ADC, these are functional sequences, they're not anatomic, uh, and they are the key sequences for looking for peripheral zone prostate cancers, and prostate cancers are going to look very bright on <laughs> diffusion-weighted imaging and dark on ADC. 
Okay, now the last one that I'm gonna go over uh, is DCE, Dynamic Contrast Enhancement Sequence. Again, another uh, functional sequence. So this detects enhancement, but not because of water, it's directly related to vascularity. And so this is the phase that requires uh, contrast uh, administration. So the images are going to be obtained before, during, and after gadolinium. And I'm, you know, not trying to say anything too, uh, too simple. But again, this is a; these are MRIs, so we're talking about gadolinium contrast, not uh, iod uh, not contrast for for CAT scans. Uh, so prostate cancer lesions. We know cancers are very vascular. They have angiogenic factors. There's a lot more blood vessels. They're going to have a lot more vascularity. They have a high enhancement and they wash out quickly, high blood flow. So you're going to have high DCE expression. It's just purely related to vascularity. And there is some increased enhancement even with a higher uh, cancer grade as well. So it makes sense that prostate cancers are going to light up. They're going to be very bright on DCE sequences. So here we have a, a nice uh, DCE sequence uh, here. And you can see here in the peripheral zone, this really bright uh, right uh, area in the right lateral peripheral zone. And this tr uh, corresponds to, uh, to a prostate cancer in the right peripheral zone. Now, one thing you have to be mindful of is that there are no, no sequence is perfect. So similar to T2, there are a number of things on DCE that will mimic prostate cancer, and those will include BPH nodules. You guys have already seen some examples of those, those sort of bright, heterogeneous appearing, well-circumscribed nodules in the transition zone. Prostatitis, it could be low signal, it could be high signal, it kind of depends on what's, uh, what is happening uh, in the prostate. Um, and hemorrhage, right? Hemorrhage is blood. So hemorrhage is going to look bright here. Uh, and I put this on here to uh, remind you, my patient who had had uh, that uh, MRI after his biopsy and had hemorrhage in the right peripheral zone, well, there's his, uh, there is his uh, uh, DCE image of that. So I'm going to sort of take a, a quick sidestep here just to make a comment, uh, because this is a, a little bit of a research interest of mine, and it's also a little bit debated in the, in the literature right now. This whole question of whether to even use the DCE or contrast phase uh, in prostate MRI for detecting prostate cancer. So multi-parametric MRI includes uh, contrast. It includes DCE phase. Biparametric MRI does not. So it's the same scan with the exception of eliminating contrast. So you don't give the contrast, the, the scan is quicker, um, and you don't have that, that sequence. There were two very large meta-analyses that were uh, recently reported that compared both the sensitivity and specificity between biparametric and multiparametric MRI. Uh, one of these looked at 10 different papers and the other looked at 20. So it was 1,700 and 2,100 plus uh, patients each be uh, between the two. Um, and really the overall sensitivity and specificity for clinically significant prostate cancer based on PIRADS and targeted biopsy was no different between the two. So the authors were suggesting that why why use a contrast, uh, why use the cost, the invasiveness for the patient. Um, the guidelines or the recommendations are a little bit unclear on this. There are uh, some papers, smaller papers, that strongly support using contrast. The real benefit for using it in a very simplified sense is if you have sort of a, an intermediate or an in, inter, uh, indeterminate lesion, a PIRADS3, uh, and you, which you would pick up on uh, the diffusion-weighted imaging phase, sequence, excuse me, and you give contrast and it really lights up, that uh, if it's a transition zone lesion, that will bump it up to a PIRADS4. So that's where the real potential difference or benefit of it is. Uh, but if you were going to biopsy it anyways, I'm not, I'm not sure what the real difference is myself, but 
this is a it's a debated topic in uh, in literature. So. The um, American College of Radiologists uh, and the society who put together PIRAD scoring system and have been doing this for years, um, they recommend that you at least do an, a multi-parametric MRI, so including uh, contrast, when either clinical risk factors indicate the likely presence of significant disease that you really don't want to miss, um, if they've had a prior negative biparametric MRI and you still are suspicious. So if you if it was negative but you really not you really think something's going on, give them contrast the next time. Um, or if they have technical factors that lead to poor or suboptimal image quality of the diffusion weighted imaging phase. Okay, so now we're going to sort of, you know, take it back now to those different sequences and let's refresh and think, uh, put what we've learned into action here and try to identify uh, a few lesions. So first, we have our T2 uh, anatomic scan here. Aha, oh, I, sh I should have given you all a minute. Well, okay, I just sort of gave it away. But you can see here, this uh, T2, again, T2, dark, prostate cancer looks dark, main sequence for looking at transition zone tumors, but of course you can use it to find them anywhere. So we have here um, a very dark uh, area within the right lateral peripheral zone. This could be prostatitis, this could be cancer. So, okay, let's see what it looks like now on DCE. Hmm. So it really lights up on DCE, so it's vascular, so that's consistent with a potential cancer. And now let's look at uh, DWI and uh, ADC. So again, DWI, okay, these are our two, uh, uh, all three of these, excuse me, are functional sequences. Uh, DWI should be very bright because this is the restricted water movement and it can't really move. The prostate cancer is just trapping it there. So it looks really bright here. And the calculated ADC, again, the darker it is, the more likely it is to be a higher grade cancer, boom. So it met all criteria here. And that uh, then I'm not going to go over the specifics for what pyrage number it gets, but that's your suspicious lesion and you are going to target biopsy that area. Again, here's a T2. Let's find our lesion. So we have this sort of normal uh, looking uh, peripheral zone here on the right with this really dark appearing area here. Uh, transition zone here on the right hand side. So this is normal transition zone here. Again, transition zone is hard to look at. So if these are not so obvious, don't beat yourself up over that because even the super skilled uh, uroradiologists uh, have a little trouble sometimes with the transition zone. But you can see this heterogeneous appearance with some attenuation on the right side excuse me, the left side here, which is normal, but it's just all dark on this right side. That is not normal appearing. <clears throat> here is a, uh, what happens, what happened to be rated a PIRADS-5 lesion in the peripheral zone. So again, dark, dark on T2, uh, bright, bright because of vascularity on the DCE or the contrast enhanced phase, bright, on uh, uh, diffusion weighted imaging because of the restriction of water movement and then the calculated diffusion coefficient dark, okay? Here's a PIRADS-5 transition zone lesion. So this here may not be quite so obvious. So sort of anteriorly in the transition zone, much more so on the right side here, but maybe spanning over onto the left. Uh, I, again, I, I'm not preaching, I'm not claiming to be a radiologist. This, uh, I can tell this looks different from the normal transition zone here, uh, but I would not necessarily just call this as it is. But now let's look at the other sequences. So contrast enhanced, it is definitely lighting up in that same area here. It's clearly very vascular. DWI really taking up, uh, really showing a lot of restriction of uh, diffusion here. So very bright on DWI and dark on ADC. So when you take into account the different scoring criteria, this ended up being rated uh, a five predominantly for its, uh, its size. It's a large tumor. 
And I think, yeah, this is my last one. So pyrads four, here's a, another peripheral zone tumor. So, so this is your last one to kind of pay attention to and I'll, you'll get some questions soon. So uh, left peripheral zone, here's your normal kind of bright peripheral zone, even this, but here's this dark area, dark on T2, that's not normal. Uh, bright on contrast enhancement, same area, bright on diffusion weighted imaging and dark on the diffusion uh, ADC calculated uh, value. So that also corresponded to a uh, PIRADS-4 in the left peripheral zone. Okay, so now I'm, I'm only putting this in not to really talk about PIRADS uh, and make a lot of uh, statements about it, but just to remind people that we are human. We are not perfect. Radiologists are not perfect. Uh, and, and MRIs are not perfect. So the, the PIRADS version 2, again, remember, it was updated to 2.1 last year. They did, a, this study is quoted a lot. It was a study of six experts at different centers, and they looked at their uh, agreement between their, uh, their scoring of different uh, prostate MRIs based on the PIRADS V2 system. And what they found was that for the peripheral zone, they had an agreement score of about 0.53 to 0.59. Transition zone was, e was even worse. So it's similar uh, to other radiology studies, but it really shows that you cannot just rely on one person and we are human. So this is not, a, these are not always slam dunk findings. And uh, a lot of this really relies on the skill of your radiologist as well as the quality of your MRI. So version 2.1 has recently been looked at and they found that there was a little bit more agreement now uh, based on the changes that have been implemented for transition zone interpretation. So again, before transition zone was pretty poor, like 0 0.3, 0 0.38 to 0 0.5. Uh, it went up to about 0.64 in this study. Uh, and another recent study also showed improvement in their um, uh, agreement coefficients for, for index lesion identification, as well as 85% uh, uh, agreement for determining uh, the absence of lesions or a negative MRI. So it's certainly an improvement. That's the bottom line, but it is not perfect. Uh, and then that's the main thing to always keep in mind. There's false positives, they're all false negatives. So you, you as the urologist who are deciding what to do with an MRI read, have to know your radiologist, have to know how your MRI scanning is working and put it in the context of your patient and their story. Okay, so now we're going to just do a few questions because uh, it's sort of the home stretch here. So prostate cancer lesions uh, typically appear dark on which MRI sequence? I love it. Yes, 95% of you got that. Wonderful. That means I'm doing something right here. So yes, dark on T2, bright on DCE, uh, and on diffusion weighted imaging, dark on ADC, which is a calculated value. Okay. Number two, prostate cancer lesions typically appear a bright on which MRI sequences? I might've just told you the answer to that. <laughs> Wow, that's fantastic. 83% of you got that right. So wonderful. So they are bright on DWI and DCE. DCE is contrast, so it's blood flow. Okay, it picks up the contrast. It's got blood flow going to it. It's vascular. It's bright. Diffusion weighted imaging, it is bright because the water molecules are restricted. They're not diffusing. They're just sort of stuck there. So the two, the two Ds, bright. Think of it that way. That's simple. All right. All right, which MRI sequence is the dominant sequence for identifying prostate cancer in the peripheral zone?
Very good. So 62% of you got it right. So diffusion weighted imaging and ADC, that's right. So remember, T2TZ, T2TZ, uh, simple things just to help you remember things. So, uh, so peripheral zone, it is really, this is more of a radiology specific uh, type question, but I still think it's useful to keep in mind. Uh, DWI ADC, that is your sequences that are gonna really help delineate cancers in the peripheral zone. And which sequence? is the dominant sequence for identifying cancer in the transition zone. I hope we get 100% on this one. Okay, 94%, so we're pretty close. So yeah, T2 for the transition zone. Uh, so I don't have much else to say about that, but good job. All right. All right, so here's my summary slide, take home points. Burn these in your memory if you want to try to remember anything from today. Your T2, this is your best sequence for TZ, transition zone lesions and for prostate anatomy and cancer staging. And your cancers will be dark on this, okay? DWI and ADC, these are your best sequences for peripheral zone cancers or lesions. And your cancers will look bright on DWI and dark on ADC. So they're usually together and they're opposite. Now, dynamic contrast enhanced, that's the DCE phase. It's debated in literature even today about, uh, so biparametric versus multiparametric MRI, but if you use it, cancers are going to look bright on DCE. You have to remember, if you're gonna look through these, you have to think about all the sequences together. There are false positives and there are things that look like cancer that mimic cancer, but are not. And you use your other sequences to help you figure that out. Uh, and most importantly, work with your radiologist. Know who they are, know how reliable they are. If you're trying to reinterpret or understand how they read something or figure out what to do with a patient, review the scan the uh, MRI with your radiologist to get their input into it. And sometimes it may change uh, how they interpreted it. They're not perfect. And there's, uh, I showed you before, there's not 100% agreement between uh, two different radiologists for the same scan ever. Uh, so uh, so it's, a, it's a clinical and a clinical judgment as well as teamwork. Um, so thank you for this opportunity. Here's my email if anyone has questions or wants to reach out after. Um, and I will also, I have to put this up here as well and I'll open it up to, um, to uh, Rich for uh, questions. Thank you so much, Kara. That was a great talk and awesome summation of prostate MRIs for a group of doctors who are probably mostly novices when it comes to reading MRIs. So that was really helpful. Um, we do have a couple of questions. The first one um, is, can you comment on the use of B-value in assessing the DWI and ADC map? So I can a little bit. Uh, so again, I'm not, a, I'm not a radiology expert, but I do know that the higher the B-value, uh, uh, it, it is a little bit more uh, predictive of what the uh, the lesion will end up being on a say a targeted biopsy so but beyond the specifics of that I can't I can't give you much more information on the B value sure um, the next one is can you tell us a little bit about the accuracy of multiparametric MRI in detecting extra prostatic disease either extra capsular extension or in the lymph nodes and if that could play any role in surgical planning in terms of nerve sparing or the extent of lymphadenectomy you're planning for? Yeah, so I, so I, um, I don't do uh, radical prostates myself, um, but I will say that uh, MRI is definitely superior to CAT scans with regards to those exact variables. Uh, so cancer staging, being able to detect extra um, capsular extension or extra prostatic extension, 
there is some uh, there is some literature suggesting uh, or or actually showing that if you use a 3T MRI with uh, an endorectal coil, that you uh, uh, really get your best uh, ability to detect extracapsular extension or extraprostatic extension. That said, um, I don't think most centers, certainly not us who are doing 3T scans are using um, endorectal coils as well. Um, that's my answer. All right. Um, do you ever do just targeted biopsies um, without doing a systematic biopsy at the same time? And if so, does that differ? Do you ever do that on, is it active surveillance patients, cancer-naive patients, repeat biopsies, et cetera? It's a really good question. Uh, <clears throat> so in a, it is my, uh, my belief, uh, and also from uh, reading the literature on the negative predictive value of a of an, uh, negative MRI, which is not 100%, if you are doing a first-time biopsy on an individual, including fusion, uh, I still do a, a standard 12-core uh, systematic with that. Now, if they are a surveillance patient and I'm doing a surveillance biopsy, and I know that they only had uh, Gleason 6, uh, to begin with, uh, then uh, I will uh, consider doing just targeted biopsy of their lesions for follow-up. Or uh, if I have a much older patient who, uh, you know, got an MRI, has a suspicious lesion, and we're, you know, PSA is really high, and it's really just to prove uh, that there's cancer there, uh, I, will, I will sometimes just do a targeted biopsy as well. There are other centers, uh, Caroline Moore and their group, who are mostly just doing a targeted biopsy uh, of suspicious lesions, but uh, there is uh, enough literature to say that the uh, you will still find some significant cancers, even if there are some Gleason 6s in your standard that I don't think that you can completely eliminate, eliminate it uh, on a first-time biopsy. Sure. Um, next question, someone wants to know, um, it seems they've removed the ADC number from PIRADS to scoring. What is your personal opinion on that? And does that change how you interpret it? Wait, sorry, can you say the question again? So um, that they removed the ADC number mm. from PIRADS when going from uh, PIRADS 1 to PIRADS 2 uh, scorings. What is your personal opinion on that? Um, I'm not sure if I have an opinion on it. Um, I mean, it's, it's an, it's an automatic, it's a calculated value. So it's not doing anything extra or different for the patient. Um, I think that it does provide some value. So like I said before, if you have, um, if you have an area on uh, DWI, diffusion-weighted imaging, that's bright, um, but it's not a cancer. It's just bright because it might be inflammation uh, or another reason. It will not have uh, such a low uh, ADC calculated value uh, to correspond to that. So uh, I know that our radiologists, your radiologists who we work here uh, and who I you know, the, the point people who I trust innately look at those together. Um, but to give you anything more specific than that, I wouldn't be able to, to comment. Okay. And um, do you do your fusion biopsies transrectally or transperineal? <laughs> and what are your thoughts on uh, each of those modalities? Uh, great question. Uh, so, um, right, so here at Montefiore, we have the Euronav platform, and so uh, all of ours are transrectal right now. Um, I have done a few that are transperineal, uh, mostly in men who've had um, APRs, so they don't have any transrectal access. Um, but um, we, are, we are working, hopefully, and COVID actually derailed uh, some of our time frame here to build more of a transperineal uh, platform. Um, I do think that there's a benefit for transperineal, certainly in the ability to uh, avoid antibiotics. Uh, some centers don't use them at all, some use minimal antibiotics for transperineal, um, but I do think uh, it is a little bit more of a uh, process with the setup and the positioning and patient comfort compared to transrectal. Uh, and so um, it's, uh, 
it's better for anterior lesions uh, or in a really big prostate. Um, and I think that's where it's the most helpful and hopefully we'll be able to, to do that in the future at our institution. Okay, um, based on the sensitivity of MRI and some of the meta-analyses, it seems like MRI still misses about a quarter of clinically significant cancers. How do you approach this and how do you counsel patients when you're uh, ordering these MRIs for them and talking to them about fusion biopsies? It's a really good question. Uh, and um, I like whoever wrote that question because um, uh, you sort of realistically quoted uh, some of the literature. Um, uh, so MRI is not perfect. Um, that's exactly what I tell patients. Um, it's It relies on uh, the actual device, so on, you know, machines, and it depends on people, people who are reading and interpreting them, and how well the patient is just laying still for a while during the scan. So uh, if I have a patient, for example, who's a, referred to me who has an elevated PSA or a strong family history, and we do a pre-biopsy uh, MRI, and it comes back negative, uh, I would not consider that sufficient evidence to completely avoid a biopsy. If, however, uh, I have a patient who, uh, for example, had uh, a negative standard tr uh, truss 12, uh, uh, standard 12 core template truss biopsy initially, uh, and it was negative, and then his PSA goes up and we get an MRI and that's negative, that negative predictive value is much higher. Uh, and so th that's a different conversation. I feel more comfortable avoiding a biopsy in that case than in somebody who's never had one that I still have a suspicion may. Okay, and I think we have time for one more question probably. So. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you approach PIRADS-3 lesions on MRI, which obviously can be heterogeneous and a little bit uh, controversial about um, how you manage those? Yeah, it's a great question. They're annoying, uh, you know, because uh, there's not always an exact right answer about what to do with them. Uh, so if I have, my general approach is this, if it's a patient who has not had a prior biopsy and we've gotten a pre-biopsy MRI and they are there, then given you think about negative predictive value and it's still showing something, even if it's not you know, low likelihood of having clinically significant cancer, uh, I still recommend a fusion biopsy, the standard template to, to investigate them. Now, if it's somebody who I know has had a negative biopsy and they have a follow-up MRI because their PSA is going up uh, and all it shows is PIRADS3, then I have a more realistic conversation with them uh, and, you know, say that uh, the likelihood of this having clinically significant prostate cancer is very low. Uh, and in fact, we've looked at it in our population here in our own hands, because, you know, this is also operator dependent and skill dependent. Uh, and our positivity rate in our PIRADS 3s for clinically significant cancer in our demographic is less than 10%. Uh, so it's very low, but it's not zero. And so some of it depends on what the patient's uh, comfort level is with taking that chance and not having a repeat biopsy to find out uh, or if they want to know. So if they're much younger and they're low 50s, I'd be a little bit more aggressive on a repeat biopsy or a, with a prior negative uh, and then a, and then a PIRADS3 to, to investigate it. If it's an older patient, you know, 70, whatever, for whatever reason we've gotten this or surveilling PIRADS3s, then I often will let them be. And have you noticed with increasing um, expertise amongst radiologists regarding prostate MRI and the PIRAD scoring, a decrease in the number of PIRADS3 lesions called on the MRIs? Hmm. I have not. <laughs> Uh, at least at our institution. I mean, I can't really speak for other places, um, but I really have not noticed a big change in that. But what I, what I will say is that we as an institution actually stopped using contrast in, in September of 2000. 
19, 19, so eight months ago. Uh, and that came from these, uh, these uh, meta-analyses systematic reviews that I showed. Um, so our head of uh, prostate MRI radiology um, is uh, very involved with the committees. And I mean, if it's, a, if it's one of those unique circumstances where uh, it's really uh, warranted to give the contrast to really delineate or be sure, we do that. But by almost routinely, we are not giving uh, giving contrast, and I'm still we're I'm still seeing a lot of pyrads threes to uh, to sift through. All right, I think uh, it's one o'clock, so that's probably all we have time for. But if anyone else has more questions, feel free to uh, email them or reach out to Dr. Watson. Her contact info is on the previous slide. Thanks, everyone, and be safe. And uh, I really appreciate your attention and time today. This was wonderful. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Learn more by visiting our website, urologycovid.ucsf.edu.